Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome. It's another inspirational week of Don't Box Me In, and I am your host, Lana Reed. Today, it is all about overcoming adversity, and my guest today knows a thing or two about that. Floyd Miley is an author, life coach, and public speaker, and someone to be out, be on the lookout for in his field. Some might remember him as the guy who sparked the last-minute win over the Notre Dame Fighting Irish during his stint as a defensive back for the University of Tennessee at Knoxville. But Floyd Miley is a man who understands all too well what it is like to have have it, then lose it, and climb back up again in the struggle to overcome past failures, disappointments, and abandoned dreams. I'm so happy he took the time to share his story with us today, and it is with pleasure that I welcome him to the show. Floyd, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Hello, Lana. Thank you so much. What a wonderful introduction. How are you doing today? <laughs> I am well. I am well. How are you, dear? I am doing just wonderful after hearing that introduction. That was, that was really nice. <laughs> That was one of the best I've had. I've heard of it. Uh, no, well, you know, you've got an amazing bio there, so that was easy for me to pull from. So it's my pleasure to uh, give you that introduction there. Now, just so I'm clear, uh, where where am I talking to you from? Where are you at right now today? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville, Tennessee. I think one of my uh, favorite guests from when I first started this show, they were in Tennessee as well. Um, so reading your bio, um, let, let's start here from the beginning. Um, you have been an example of what it means to overcome when people think of that. And like I said, in your bio, it says that you overcame generational curses. Um, are you comfortable? Can you share uh, what that's about? Yeah, um, you know, generational curses is something that, that, that we all suffer from um, as a society and as a people and even as small as a family. Um, I come from a single parent um, background. Um, mm-hmm. My mother pretty much raised me. My father was in my life but not the way a father should be at that point in time, which was adverse. That put me at an at-risk category right there. You know, okay. an African-American man, young, um, growing up. And so I, I had that stigma already, but my mother just always just instilled in me, you know, regardless of what life gives you, you have to make a life of your own. You have to go out and do these things. Don't let um, things that happen in your life set you back because we all going to experience them. And through her hard work and seeing how she was able to, you know, to suffer the challenges, the struggles and everything, this kept me just motivated to keep going on because I realized that I was created for something more than, than, you know, what society says I'm going to be. I knew I wasn't going to be in jail and I knew I wasn't going to die real soon, you know, if the Lord is willing. (laughs) I just wanted to go ahead and take advantage of the world, you know, my lifetime. Good stuff. Good stuff. You know, you bring to a uh, point. Uh, one of the things I always t- have told my daughter, you know, because me and her collectively, we've kind of went through some challenges when uh, her father passed away. And I used to always tell her, I said, I don't want you to ever use that as an excuse for not succeeding in your life that, you know, I, I didn't grow up with my father. You know, there's so many people in this world that have went through trials and tribulations and have succeeded. So there's there's no excuse for not trying to be the best that you can possibly be in this world. And it, it's it's um. It's wonderful that you had a mother that kind of pushed you even through your circumstances. Look, you know, Floyd, you can you can be the best you can possibly be. And I think that foundation is always so very important. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, my mother, she was she was a hardcore old school. You know, <laughs> I don't want to see you cry. 
I uh-huh. what's, your what's your pound for? Boy, get up and get, you know, get it together, you know? That's you right. Dust yourself sports. off. Yeah, you got to do that. And, you know, when I was playing sports, she was my number one fan. And she was always there to, you know, congratulate me. And when I did wrong, I messed up. Hey, she was there to correct me. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was still am more afraid of my mother than I'm afraid of anybody. <laughs> yeah, there's so many stories, especially in uh, black homes where, you know, sons would say, okay, call the police. Don't call my mom, but please call the police. I'd rather you call them than my mother. So, you know, that's truly understandable. Now, your name is actually Floyd D.A. Miley III. So I know there's two more before you. Um, are there any more after you? Um, I have a son. Um, his name is DeAndre. Um, after me, I said there will be no more. Okay. Um, so we're going to stop the Floyd at that point. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I, I do have a son. Um, he's 23 years old. He's an MMA fighter. Um, he's, I think okay. he's going to turn pro, I think, next month or something like that. Good and, stuff. Um, he has a, yeah, he's going to turn pro. And it's, his story is truly amazing within itself because a few years ago he was in a car wreck and he lost, you know, his left eye. Wow. And, um, and he's still fighting. You know, for him to battle and to fight, yeah. I, I think he's crazy, the first one. But I mm. admire, you know, the fact that no matter what happens, you know, you lose an eye. Most people want to get on disability and just, you know, may feel sorry for yourself. That that man is still fighting, and he won the championship not too long ago, and that's oh. going to get him, you know, propel him. And he okay. has a son. Okay. That's, um, that's, that's getting ready to be four years old. So you, um, it's good to have at least two more generations of me floating around okay. here. Okay, so yeah, I guess your son gets that that uh, get up and go and motivation from his father. Now, are you you're the only one, um, or you have brothers and sisters? I have um, collectively. I have five brothers and sisters. Okay. Now you mentioned that you're in Tennessee now, but is that where you were born and raised? Actually, I was born in Daytona Beach, Florida. Uh, when we were twelve, my mother moved to um, Fort Lauderdale to give us a better chance to get a scholarship um, for athletics. Okay. And, um, so I. I graduated from um, Fort Lauderdale and Boyd Anderson High School, and I got a scholarship to go to the University of Tennessee. It was in 1987, and I've been stuck in Tennessee ever since then. 1987. So you are, you're my age. So you will be 45 this year. Yes, I'm going to get 45 on the 4th of July. Ah, I'm the 8th of July, fellow cancer in the house. Okay, good stuff. Okay, all right, cancer, love. <laughs> okay, so you started playing football at a young age in Florida. Um, did you did you see that that's where you were going, or um, did you have other dreams and goals at a young age? Well, uh, my, my original dream was to be, you know, when you're young, you, you want to be famous, you want to be rich, and um, so I wanted to play baseball. And actually, that's my first love. Okay. Um, I had some issues in high school um, which stopped me from playing baseball, and so I concentrated on football. Okay. But I never really saw me as a professional football player. Um, okay. Because my mother, you know, in her wisdom, she started me writing and reading at an early age in elementary because I had to write, read and write um, book reports every summer. Okay. And okay. So that that kind of ignited, you know, my, my passion for writing. Okay. I knew I was going to eventually write something, but up until, up until um, I was 40 years old, I had nothing to write about. <laughs> you know, but I felt that was worthy enough or passionate to write about. And if I look at it, I just didn't have enough experience in order to, you know, to reach the readers, in which, which I intend to. Mm-hmm. You know, I think your mother had a vision that um, I wish a lot of parents who kind of direct their children towards sports 
I wish they had because the reality is a sports career might not be viable. I mean, the amount of people who actually, you know, make it into the NFL or the NBA or whatever percentage wise is very small. And then a lot of these kids grow up and they really have no backup plan. Um, for when the sports thing doesn't come through. So I think that's very commendable that your mother said, okay, you know, we're going to get you in these books because you need to have some other options just in case. So um, yeah, I really... Cause yeah, because yeah, it, it was like a situation where she didn't, you know, she wanted sports to get, a, get us as a vehicle to get us to college. Mm-hmm. Then we wanted to use our mind, you know, and do it that way. So, you know, and, and it worked out fine. And, and I agree with you, a lot more parents need to start instilling that into their children at a young age. Yeah. Especially when they're that impressionable. True, true. You know, you have to have a, a backup plan to the backup plan, so to speak. Right. So you got your football scholarship. Were you still living in Florida when the scholarship came through? Yeah, when the scholarship came through, it was uh, my senior year in high school. Um, and I left, uh, I think, June of that year, of 87. And like I said, I've been in Tennessee since I was um, in Knoxville for a while. Mm-hmm. Until 96, and then I moved to Nashville. Okay. Um, just to get a different feel, but I wanted to stay close to my son because he's just three hours, two and a half hours away. Okay. So what do you remember about, because I'm, I'm assuming that must be a big transition, moving from mom and, and Florida to Tennessee. What, what do you remember most about your first years in college? Uh, let's see. Uh, do you ever know someone that just deliberately messed up a whole <laughs> year of their life? <laughs> That's, That's what, what freshman year is for. <laughs> Fresh, ooh, I'm, no, no, no. I, see, I took mine a little further. I guess I was a slow freshman. I was freshman and sophomore year. Because I was freedom. I mean, my mother gave us freedom, but there was a limit. But it's nothing like being able to go and come as you please, have people mm-hmm. over. And if you're not ready for that type of lifestyle, true, it blew true. my mind completely. I was like, oh, I can do what I want to do. And, you know, and I was having problems on the football field, too. As well as academically, I was screwing up every kind of way that you can possibly imagine. <laughs> and um, exactly. I, I mean, I'm really, I, I even got, I got to the point where I was academically dismissed twice from school. Oh my goodness gracious! Was, oh, and you were not pleased. And nothing got me right until they threatened to call my mom and let my mama know. <laughs> it's always mom, that right? Was, mama gets you back in call. shape. Uh-huh. But yeah, uh huh. I'm flying down there on a whim and getting me straight. So, okay. That's what it so, was. Um, go ahead. so it was, uh, you know, that being away from home and partying freshman year that you kind of put yourself in jeopardy of losing your, your football scholarship. Um, so mom came down, was this your freshman or sophomore year? She came or, you know, came oh, down and got you straight. My sophomore junior year. And she got me straight because that's what she did. She, she flew down unexpectedly. Okay. I didn't know she was there. <laughs> she went directly and talked with my coaches. And then when I had um, the meeting with Coach Mazes, he was telling me things, which I've heard before from my mother, so I knew that something was going on. Mm. So I said, okay, let me start getting my act together here before I end up, you know, just just, just another statistic of, of, of mm-hmm. a black man who could have made it, should have made it, but just would have been and messed up. Mm-hmm. But I mean, but it, but it was all obstacles, you know. You know, and, and the thing about it was a learning experience for me. Um, I spent most of my what thirties recovering from the mistakes I did and made when I was twenty. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. just when I was, you know, when I turned forty, I said, now I'm getting to the point where I'm I'm ready to start doing what I'm being put on this earth to do. And then that's when the storms of life came. 
and, okay. and it just it hit me and it, and it knocked me down to to a um to my to my breaking point. Okay. I had to rebuild okay. myself back up. You know, and and life is such a cycle of, you know, things. And I've always told people, you know, when I got to my 40s, you know, that was going to be a turning point and life was going to be, you know, better. I, I was more aware of who I am. And I just think that some of the pieces of the puzzle are not really all in place until we've reached a, several, a certain level of maturity. So, you know, I understand, you know, how you kind of went through those, you know, I'm in my 20s. I don't know anything, but I think my stuff don't stink. So, you know, I'm, I'm knocking my head against the same walls. And then 30, I get a little bit more, you know, wisdom, but it's really not all together. It's not all packaged. I'm still kind of making mistakes, you know, and kind of, you know, when you get to your 40s, you've, you, you pretty much mastered, you've got a handle on it. So now you're ready to have, quote unquote, the best years of your life. So, you know, the transition is understandable. But I think a lot of times what we try to do is, you know, when we get this wisdom at 40, we're looking at the younger generation and say, OK, listen to us. We, we have the answers. You don't have to knock your head up against the wall like we did. You know, so just just listen to us. And, you know, I think that's where, you know, you come in now with the things that you're doing and trying to teach, you know, people like, look, you, you know, you're going to make some mistakes, but that doesn't have to knock you down forever. You right. know, so. OK. Um now, before we move on to the other part and before we take the first commercial break, there's something that you are known for. And I mentioned it in your, your read up there um, about your football time. And uh, explain to me how all of that happened, what you're known for at University of Tennessee. Well, it, it, was, it was an interesting story. We, it was against the um, Notre Dame in 1991, um, and we, it was a miraculous comeback win. Um, we had us uh, 35-7 going like two minutes in before the halftime. And we, um, they lined up the block um, for a field goal, and Daryl Hardy, um, which was a teammate of mine at the time, he blocked the kick. And I saw it between, you know, the offensive line and legs, and I picked it up, and I just started running. And at that point, everything became just instant. Mm-hmm. Um, I scored a touchdown, and we managed to regroup ourselves, overcome that adversity that we experienced in the first two quarters, and we were able to, to not only come back in the game, but we were able to pull out a victory at Notre Dame in Notre Dame. You know, that, that just didn't happen back in the day, and it still pretty much don't happen to this day. Yeah, um, not Notre Dame is – Got a quite a reputation. Yeah, that, that was the mecca of college football, and for us to come down from the south and do, you know, from southeastern conference and do that, you know, that that put Tennessee on the map definitely, um, and that propelled me into stardom. I mean, at the point in time, I just thought it was just a play, it was just something that we do. But 25 years later, people are still talking about the game. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years ago, I went, I finally went back up to homecoming. And this guy told me, he said um, he had been coming back to homecoming for the past, I think, 10 years, hoping to get me to sign an autograph because I had never been, I didn't know uh. homecoming at all. And I was like, wow, you know, you, that impacts a lot of people. You know, there's certain things that you do, even though you might not ever even meet them, um, you can inspire someone to do something, you know, in their life to overcome some type of adversity. You never know who you're touching. And the message, you know, that is, especially with the touchdown, is it's not over till it's over. Even in the very last minutes of the game, you can get a win. So, I mean, I think that's a wonderful message. And with that, we're going to take our first break of the day. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. 
Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Today I am with Mr. Floyd Miley, author of Recognize Your Greatness. And before the break, he was talking about his uh, days at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, uh, where he was a defensive back and, you know, saved the uh, game. One actually calls the win for the game against the Notre Dame. And um, so you um, you have your college years, you know, you recover from almost, uh, you know, getting kicked out of college and you managed to graduate. So what you graduate from college and what next? What was your plan? Um, my next plan was uh, actually I started a mentoring program called the Real Talk Foundation. Okay. And it was helping um, young, young at-risk kids or such as myself, um, age 15 through 18. Mm-hmm. Um, just mentoring. We really had a group mentoring project at a local, local high school here. And, but I didn't have the necessary background or education background. And okay. Successfully run it, so I wanted to go back and pursue my master's degree. Okay. Um, and and was able to complete my master's degree in 2010, and then that's when my whole world just like took a different path than, okay. than, what, than what I what I thought it was intended for. Okay. So uh, after you graduated from college, you um, start the mentoring program. Were you working at the time, or just doing the mentoring program? Oh, no, no, no. There was a number of years between when I graduated. Let me backtrack for a minute. Now, um, remember I told you the, the problems I had in school and the academic failure I was experiencing. I had to go back. I went back in 2004 um, okay. and completed my degree because at that point my son was um, 12, 13 years old, and I, I didn't want to ever tell him, you have to get your college degree if I didn't have mine. Oh, okay. So I drove from Nashville to Knoxville three times a week. It was a two-hour drive to complete my degree requirements. Okay. So I was graduated with my BA then, and then I took off for maybe a year, a year or two from, um, and I started just working mm-hmm. and starting the mentoring program. And okay. And I got to the point where the mentoring program was stagnant, that's when I wanted to go back to school because I wanted to be a successful, um, successful. Um, oh. And then that's once I finished my degree, like I said, in 2010, a uh, master's. Okay, what was your degree in? Um, human resources, business administration with a concentration in human resources. Okay, and that that's something you always had thought about doing, or just something transitioned into that. It was. It, I think it was more or less a transition. Um, I was still at a point. I'm still trying to figure out my actual place in the world. Okay. I thought it, you know, it might have been the human resources or something that was helping. Because as long as I'm helping people, that's what I was comfortable with. But I was mm-hmm. trying to position myself where I can do the most good. And I realized that if I get a human resources um, degree, I can use that anywhere. Okay. My own okay. company, startup company, I can do pretty much universal. And that was my focal point, but I, but I wanted to get my mentoring program up and running. Okay. So you're in Nashville at this time. You're going back and forth. No, no, no. You're in Nashville at this time, and you're completing your um, human resources degree. And you're working, um, but something happens in 2010. Uh, what what was that? Uh, well, actually, it started a little bit before then. Um, when I think back, um, I so in 2008-2009, I lost my father. Um, okay. It was sudden, unexpected, but it caused a lot of strain because he lived. Um, he had a stroke, but he lived, I think, three three more months. And during that time, now I'm working up a full time job up in Nashville, and I'm going to school. He's in Florida. Mm. Now I have to commute back and forth going to Florida, driving Florida every weekend to see my father and to make sure that, you know, they were taking care of him the way it should have. Mm-hmm. But that added additional stress. So once he passed, and that was one obstacle that, you know, that I had to overcome, 
um, which I don't think we ever overcome. We just learn how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. And around 2010, come around, I have a manager's job. I'm getting ready to graduate from my MBA in, in September, and I lose my job. Oh. Uh, my manager's job, paying good money and everything that way. And I was... I was, it was spiraling out of control. I didn't know what to do. Um, I thought I was doing what, you know, they told us to do, go to school, get an education, get your job, and you'll progress in life. Mm-hmm. I've come to realize that's not always the case for everybody. Some, mm-hmm. some people that work, for some people that don't. Um, so in the midst of me trying to find a job, this happened in the middle of the recession. Mm-hmm. And people are laying, you know, laying people off, and it's, just, it's crazy. And then Nashville itself during that year was hit with a flood. Oh my! Shut the, you know, shut the business down. So it was—I mean, I was catching it from all different. <laughs> Just can I catch a break, please? I was, ooh, I was like, give me just a little break, a little rest. <laughs> just know? give me a little and something. Let me breathe. <laughs> that was it, and, I, and so after a while, you go through your savings, and you, you're borrowing money from family and friends, mm-hmm. and you put strain on relationships, and then you're seeing my house. I just saw my house just sinking. You know, my car. Mm-hmm. You know, everything that I worked so hard for was just going down. And I ended up mm-hmm. selling because I just wanted to just persevere through it. Um, mm-hmm. And I finally gave up my house. I said, you know what? I have to just start completely over. You know, I, okay. I'm a lot wiser now. You know, I have experience and I have the education. Let me figure out what it needs to do. And one day while I was sitting here packing, it just came across so haphazardly. I was just packing. and I'm looking through some old paperwork. And I came across this poem by Langston Hughes, um, What Happens to a Dream Deferred. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at papers, you read about it, you, you read it because, oh, it brings back memories or something that I learned about in college. And I just dismissed it. Mm-hmm. But then it started working on my subconscious mind and saying, whatever happened to that dream you wanted as a writer? Mm-hmm. What, what's going on? You know, you're in the midst of all these, these, these problems that are going on. And true enough, you have to live, you know, day to day. But what happened to that dream that gave you that passion for life? Mm-hmm. And that dream caused me to seriously take a, a look at myself. And then I found out what my passion was. And now I have something to write about. Mm. How to overcome adversity. But I'm you know. okay, me being the person that I am. I'm, you know, I can't as always creative. <laughs> True. You got to put a twist on everything. True. So I was like, okay, now I don't want it to be just another inspirational, motivational book. Mm-hmm. I want it to be different. So then I leaned back and I started thinking about the day how I overcame adversity when I was playing football. And, and we used to um, go by these seven principles every every Sunday before the game. We would read these seven principles. Okay. And if we did them, we would win. If we didn't do them, we would lose. Okay. It was, it was just that simple. So I started brainstorming and I started translating the, the seven principles of playing football or how to be successful in football, and I applied them to life. Okay. And okay. so I, I came up with that idea. So, okay, I'm going to go at this angle here because it's, it's a football-based book, and I think I'm in the South where football is just crazy. And I was like, this is going to be a good one. But okay. in the course of writing the book, um, it went into a total different direction because I wanted to take people, examples of people's lives, um, different walks of life throughout history, and just use them as a backdrop. You know, for instance, in Chapter 1, I used Langston Hughes as a backdrop. But then, of course, me writing a book, God started talking to me. Mm-hmm. And he started pointing me towards the Bible. And so I started doing the research for the Bible. And this is, the, this is my reason for reading the Bible, okay? Okay. I wanted to do research for it. I wanted to learn about Paul because I love I loved the way he finished things. Mm-hmm. Paul was a, a great finisher. 
So they got me into reading Corinthians and different aspects of Paul's life. And then they got me reading the King Solomon and David and all the other, you know, powerful and mighty men of God. And what it did, it opened up my true passion on what I was created to do. And that Which was, was what? Go ahead. Preach the gospel. Okay, okay. That's what my purpose is. But I never would have discovered my purpose had I not rediscovered my passion for the dream I had. Gotcha, gotcha. I mean, and, and the, the set-off point for all of that was your trials and tribulations and your struggles. If you had not gone through that initially, you would have not realized, um, you know, what your purpose and calling is. And, you know, unfortunately, that's just how life works. You got, you got to go through something for the lights to start to click on and say, wow, you know, this, this is what this is all about. You know, you never realize how beautiful life is when everything is all wonderful and gravy. You know, it's only when you're in the muck and the dirt and the grind of it, and you overcome that you say, wow, this is, this is an amazing journey here. Yes, it is. Definitely. Amazing. And it amazes me every day. <laughs> every day. So um, you mentioned the seven principles um, that you learned from football. And before we go to break real quick, are you able to just um, tell us what the seven, seven principles are real quick? And then I want to talk about them in detail when we come back from break. Okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah. The, um, the first principle, um, the individual that pursues and never abandons their dream will be successful. Two, okay. plan and prepare for opportunities, and when one comes your way, seize it. Number three, if at first setbacks, mistakes, or failed attempts occur, don't let up. Put on more steam. Okay. Your vision will determine your destiny. Passion, perseverance, and self-discipline is how you're going to get there. Number five is to protect your dreams and visions from dream killers. Number six, plan and prepare for success, for here's when the breaks are made. And number seven is to finish what you start. This is the winning edge. Hmm. Good stuff. And I think so many people, you know, they, they slip up, slip up on maybe one or two of them. They get caught in a rut on one and, you know, they just don't understand how it all pieces itself together. And I really like the dream killers because so many times in my own life, you know, I've had, you know, dream killers. So I want to make sure we discuss these in a little bit more detail when we come back. Right now, we're going to take a quick commercial break and I'll be back with Floyd Miley right after this. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. I am with author Floyd Miley today. He wrote the book, Recognize Your Greatness. And before the break, he had told us the seven principles to recognize your greatness. And I just want to give him one more time. Uh, the first one is the individual that pursues and never abandons their dream will be successful. The second one is plan and recognize opportunities, and when one comes your way, seize it. The third one is if at first setbacks, mistakes, and failed attempts occur, don't let up. Put on more steam. The next one is your vision will determine your destiny. Passion, perseverance, and self-discipline is how we are, how you're going to get there. The next one is protect your dreams and visions from dream killers. And the other one is plan and prepare for success, for here is where the breaks are made. And the last one is finish what you start. That is the winning edge. Um, just out of curiosity, is there one that's more uh, meaningful to you or, or not? Um, finishing. Finishing, finishing, you know. Seven principles, yeah. 
because you know, um, we we we're good at starting things. <laughs> we start going to school. We start relationships. We start writing books. We start businesses. We start. We always start in something, but very few of us finish. Mm-hmm. And, and and that is, I mean, it's not the first six principles mean absolutely nothing if you don't finish it. Okay. Okay. So. Um, you know, I mean, and that's that's kind of a daunting task in itself because, you know, sometimes we get these, you know, we're like these uh, kids. You know, I we've all, some of us who are parents, we all have these kids that come in at three years old and they have these great, mom, I'm going to be a violinist. And then like the following week, you know, no, mom, I'm going to be a vet. You know, so even as adults, sometimes we have these grand big visions of, you know, what we're going to be. But then we try and uh, that doesn't work. And then we try again and something doesn't work. I mean, but how do you how do you stay focused when it's, it's really not going as smoothly as, you know, you thought it would. I mean, even in your own journey, it's like, okay, I was going to college and then, you know, life happened and, you know, what, what, how do you get motivated again? Let me go back and finish this or something. It's just, sometimes it's a very daunting task. It, it, it definitely is. Um, but the, the way I look at it, um, you got two, you got two choices. You can either complain about life or you can get up and change life. True. But True. if you're going to complain and not do anything, that's annoying. I hate, I don't like people <laughs> who all they want to do is complain about life, but they never want to get up and do anything about it. You know, it, it falls on the rain, falls on the just as well as the unjust. We're all going to experience problems. Some people are going to have different problems, more difficult problems than others. But it's how you respond to those to that adversity that mm-hmm. comes along with it. And with some people, it's instilled in us at an early age, you know, thanks to my mother, and some people it's not instilled. It's something that they have to learn and to develop. But if you want to take it personally, is that, you know, once you discover your purpose, there is nothing else that can stop you. No matter Mm -hmm. what problems you may go through, because you understand that now I'm connected to my God-given purpose. Mm -hmm. And everything that I'm going through is just a storm. That's true. Because I know it's not going to be there forever because I've identified my purpose. Now, when I was younger, I had no purpose. So, yes, mm-hmm. I would give up. I, mm-hmm. I was just basically trying to find myself. But once I found Floyd, then I'm like, man, I, this, this is Floyd I know. You know, I still <laughs> have problems. I still have problems to this day, and I'm going to continue to have problems. But I don't look at them as the way I used to look at them. I mean, why me? I don't have this why me mentality. Now I'm, I'm welcoming certain opportunities, you know, certain disappointments, because that tells me I'm getting closer and closer to my goal. Good, good. You know that there's a uh, phrase. You know when you when you're on the the verge of something great happen. You know, uh, great happening. The devil always gets busy. So you know, I look at it now when uh, I do get certain challenges in life. You know, I smile at it. You know, grin and say it's going to be okay because something great must be around the corner if I'm going through this right now. So you know, it's all in you know establishing a certain type of mentality that nothing is going to deter you from the goal that you're you've put there out there for yourself. Definitely. True. Now, um, you mentioned earlier that um, Langston Hughes and, and this poem, uh, Dream Deferred, is one of the things that kind of pushed you over there and got you going again. And you said you talked about it in your book. Now, I'm going to read the poem real quick, and then I want to ask you what in particular it was about this poem that made you um, kind of pick yourself up by the bootstraps. Uh, but okay. it's uh, by Langston Hughes, A Dream Deferred. What happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load 
or does it explode? Now, just curious, what is it about that particular poem that kind of made Floyd say, hey, let me get my stuff together? When I was going through the storm that I was going through in 2009 and 10, that was mm-hmm. heavy. You know, I had burdens. I mean, it, it, that's why I looked at it. It was just burdens on me. And and I knew at some point in time, either I was going to completely fold to pressure or I was going to have an implosion or an explosion. Mm-hmm. Neither one of them would have been good. So then I didn't want to get to that point. Because I had already experienced, you know, the, the, the dream that faded away, that drying up. I've experienced every step of that poem. And I did not want to get to that last step. Because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people in life, you know, life explodes on them and they forget about their dreams and then they, they end up being in a cemetery, um, unfortunately, never discovering their purpose. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I hate to cut you off. Now, I, I have... I have a lot of I had a, I have a lot of family members. I have a lot of friends around me, and you know, just growing up over the years in conversations, I know that they have dreams. You know, they it, it might sound very far fetched, but you know, they have dreams. I don't know. It might be I want to you know go mountain climb in India or something. I don't know. But they they let it go for something comfortable. Let me get me a stable nine to five. You know, I got these kids to take care of. I have a spouse that you know is depending on me. And, you know, they let 20 years pass. They let 40 years pass. They let 60 years mm-hmm. pass. And they never do anything to initiate making their dream come to a, a reality. Um, is it is there any is there any damage in taking the safe road? Do we all have to go out there and try to make our dreams a reality? I don't think we all have to do it, um, but it'd be wonderful if, if everybody did, you know, to at least discover what their purpose is. And I think that will relieve a lot of pressure from people as far mm-hmm. as being unhappy, you know, discontent with the way life is going. Um, but unfortunately, it's just, it's just like, honestly, everybody's not going to make it to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just the way it is. True. I want to encourage as many people as I possibly can. You know, whether you're going to live the next 5, 10, or 40 years, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, do something. Do something. You know, whatever it is that you, what, for, for you, not for me. Don't try to be like everybody else or try to compare your, your success to other people. Do what you what you were put on this earth to do and do it to your best ability. And if mm-hmm. you can do that, then this happens. If you were meant to be a you know, stay-at-home mom, or be the greatest, greatest one you can do. That's your greatness. That's what you're here to do. But don't, That's right. don't people box themselves in. And thinking, okay, I got to get a job, I got to get married, and they want to box in, and all of a sudden they forget about themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, then they fall, they fall victim to all the day-to-day pressure because they have no outlet. You know, you 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 have hobbies, you have passion, your radio show, you know, that's passion for you. You know, you're telling mm-hmm. your voice. So when you want to escape from your radio show, allows you to escape from your present reality. Mm-hmm. Your to think about it and go back, and then it's okay. Now let me look at this a different angle. True. Very true. Very true. Uh, you know, and like I said, I just think, you know, I tell people all the time, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a regular person. Just do you in an amazing kind of way. And, you know, um, we all have different purposes. We all have different designs of why we're here. You know, you might be uh, the best basket weaver that is out there in this world and nobody can negate that, you know, and Floyd might be the best public speaker out there. Nobody can negate that. But we all have some sort of grand design, some sort of purpose. And you are put on this earth to recognize what your purpose is. And I think it's just such a a crime 
you know, a travesty when people don't, they live their entire lives and, and don't realize what they're here for. And, and I agree totally. And I think, I, I think I figured out why, why people experience that problem is it's because they're looking at the world to solve an issue that's internal. Mm-hmm. Because everything that God gave you, your talents, your gifts, your dreams, your, your visions and everything, he put it inside of you. So why mm-hmm. are we going to, and there's nothing wrong with getting education. Okay, I'm a bear, I'm an advocate of education. But why do we spend so much time looking for acceptance of the world instead of, you know, looking inside within ourselves? Mm-hmm. What we're supposed to do. And then, you know, the world is supposed to be conformed for us. It's not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then we can conform it to make it fit the way that we're supposed to fit in the world according to our purpose. There you go. It's all it's all in you. You know, it's all the answers are in you and your perception of yourself and and what direction you're trying to go. So that's cool. Cool. Good stuff. Um, I want to I mentioned earlier before the break, one of your principles, and it, it's very personal to me because I've just I've had to have my little shield and armor up over the years as I'm trying to accomplish things. One of your principles is um, uh, how to deal with dream killers. And I, I've had my share of them. Lord knows I have had my share of them. Uh, how do you how do you protect yourself or shore yourself up? Because what happens, I found with dream killers is they come along and they kind of tap you on the shoulder and they say, Lana, you know, we know you're trying to do this, but really that's not feasible. You know, you don't really have the finances for it. You know, it's really going to take, you know, all of this, but you don't have the connections. You don't have the resources. I really don't think you can do this, girl. So then in the back of Lana's mind, she might be saying to herself, well, you know, maybe that's kind of true. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I can't really do this. So, how do you how do you shore yourself up from dream killers? Well, number, I figure that a lot of times everybody don't need to know what your dream, your visions are. True. You have to protect them. True. You know, because there are some people, and 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 they, what they look at, they look at their lives and things that happened to them, the things that they've experienced, and then they're going to automatically apply it to you. So. And you have to, like, turn a deaf ear almost to people who say this cannot be done. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the way technology has come in the past 10 years, I mean, who would have thought that we can be on the Internet, a smartphone, you know, all these other things? So it's possible. Mm-hmm. But all it takes is determination. You can't listen to what other people say because they don't know. I mean, no. every day or every, you know, it's just constantly filled with people who are overcoming challenges, reaching their greatness and discovering things in which, we never, we never would imagine. I mean, just mm-hmm. imagine if it had Benjamin Franklin allow people to tell him, "You crazy for, you know, just trying to discover the light bulb or, or the mm-hmm. electricity or whatever." We would be sitting up in the dark. Mm-hmm. Or if the Wright brothers allowed people to tell them, um, "You get yeah, stupid to fly a plane. Why would you ever need a plane or anything of that nature?" And they don't want to get on a more current level. If people would have told President Obama that there's no way that African American become president, and we was he will never be. That's true. It's always the big thinkers, the ones that society says, oh, that's a crazy person who really changed the course of history and proved to us that what we thought could not be actually can be sometimes. But, you know, while we're looking at them trying, you know, we're always passing judgment like, oh, no, I don't know why this person is doing that. That can't be done. You know, that's something crazy. Who wants to put wings on some sort of thing and try to fly it in the air? That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. But look at us now, you know, so right. 
you know that 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 is that is truly a fact that it is always the ones we think of as crazy as the ones that are making making moves movers and shakers out there. Well, we're gonna take our last. Oh, go ahead, dear, real quick before we take oh, a break. It was um one thing you you were talking about, you know that that affected you. If people you know dream killers telling you this is not going to work. I mean we at the, we reach a certain point in life where um we're used to hearing that. But then we don't want to let them overcloud our own perception of ourselves and become the most dangerous thing to them all. Mm-hmm. We're the only ones that really can stop our dreams. Ain't nobody will stop them. That's right. But if we yeah. allow the, ne- the pessimism to, to continuously to cloud our judgment of ourselves, then that's when we become our, our main dream killer. That's right. It's either it's either going to be you or me, and I have to choose me and, and where yeah. I'm going. So that's true. All right, Floyd, we're going to take our last break of the day. And when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, moving flo- forward with Floyd. Right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I am with Floyd Miley today, author of Recognize Your Greatness. And um, Floyd, you mentioned before that um, you had started off mentoring kids are you still doing that now actually that's what um what we're working on um at the church i go to um we're going to start up a youth ministry it's going to be called breaking your chains youth ministry mm-hmm. and it, 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 it's going to be um obviously it's going to be based on you know teachings of the bible but this is something to encourage you know young african-american men or minority men that there's a lot more to life than, than what they're currently doing or what they're aspiring to doing because from what i see um, our youth is in trouble mm-hmm. every level of the game. You know, um, I was reading the reading rate for, for African Americans is at 28 percent. Mm. You know, they can read. You know, um, and, you know and, and, it's, and it's at different levels. You have professional athletes being charged with murder, rape, mm-hmm. just stealing crabs. You know, just doing everything, and it's like it's in a, a complete spiral. And <laughs> if we don't, you know, tackle this problem now, we're going to have essentially. You know, a certain generation that's going to become extinct. You know, that I think, you know, I I read the news headlines, you know, like some of the things that you brought up mentioned here. And you're thinking to yourself, it's you have an opportunity here as an athlete. um, You're either, you know, in professional sports. You've been given this opportunity to make um, a vast amount of money and better your life, not only for yourself, but your family. And you're doing the most ridiculous, idiotic things. And you're saying to yourself, you know, as an onlooker, where, where, where is this coming? Why are you blowing this opportunity that life has given you? But clearly, we we have so many youth that have opportunities that are really in in a, a a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. The mentality is just so off base. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and with the and I think as far as the college athletes go, um, and as well as high school um, nowadays, everybody tell them how great they are. Mm-hmm. Get to recognize how great they are. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking at what everybody else thinks of them, and mm-hmm. so I can go do what I want to do because I'm just this great athlete. But if they realize that you know they had greatness within themselves, they will carry themselves a lot better, mm-hmm. a lot better than, than what they're doing. And then they have you know they have a cause for living. You know when I was running my mentoring program, a 16 year old guy told me, "What do I have to live for?" I'm like, "Dude, you haven't even started living." Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 still in negative years. You know, you don't want to start living until you get eighteen. Now once you get eighteen, everything starts over because you're no longer under the care of your mother or your father. 
You know, mm-hmm. like the real world stars or whatever. And just to see that, you know, that, that these young kids with so much potential to just give up mm-hmm. and end up being in an institution for 25, 35, 55 years, it, it's, it's, it's saddening. And then mm-hmm. for us as black people to allow it to continuously mm-hmm. happen is it, a real travesty. Yeah, I do a lot of I do a lot of work with uh, inner city kids. And sadly, the thing that I hear commonly amongst the males, young males, 15, 16, you know, you know, why should I try? You know, I'm either I got two options. I'm going to end up dead like my friends or I'm going to end up in jail. So there's that's my that's my end right there. That's the end result for me. So why should I think that there's other opportunities out there for me? And it's just really a sad state of overall general mentality that young males are having, um, inner city kids are having. And I, I mean, it, it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of, of work from, um, and I, I blame our generation because we we created this madness. So um, mm-hmm. we're going to have to collectively get together to fix it because kids are not born that way. They have to be taught right. that stuff, you know. Um, just out of curiosity, um, what's the next chapter look like for Floyd D.A. Miley III? Uh, where where can we expect to see him? What what what, what direction are you going? Um, right now, I'm, I'm getting ready to start a, a really another relaunch of the book. Um, okay. I did a soft launch for a while just to get my feet wet. Mm-hmm. Getting ready to focus on that. Um, also, the youth ministry. Um, I'm starting school um, to become a pastor in August. Okay. It'll take me about a year to do that. So that's where my focus is pretty much right now. Um, and just letting God just order my steps and guide me in the direction which He wants me to go. And therefore, okay. I, I know mistakes won't happen. Okay. So, in, um, if you can share, in Tennessee, are you working currently with a church there, or is that where they go to connect with you? Yeah, um, Ebenezer Community Church um, okay. in Nashville. Um, I think you can Google it. We're going to have to get a website up and running. Um, um, but it is, it's a good Bible-based church. Uh, we call it a house of prayer. We come in and shout and study. That's what we do. Um, mm-hmm. It's a phenomenal church. Okay. You know, um, okay. A lot of young. It has a, a mixture of generations there. You know, we have a little old school Baptist with the new age, and, and it's just a nice blend. Okay. Just trying to get it, you know, trying to, you know, edify the body of Christ. You know, that, that's that's what it's about. Okay. So just out of curiosity, so you're you're sitting there in uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and you know you've got this youngster, 15 year old. You know, he comes strutting up to you, says, "You know what, Floyd? You know." I don't have to worry about nothing else. I'm going to be a professional football player. And Lloyd, uh, Floyd, excuse me, Floyd says to him, what? I don't say anything to him. I take him out and I show him. Mm-hmm. You want to be a professional football player? You're 15 years old. Okay, I got you about 30 years. <laughs> if, you can be, if you can't beat me playing football, you don't need to be trying to play football. You need to go work harder. You need to figure out something else. Mm-hmm. And I, mm-hmm. I think a lot of you know a lot of these kids, and they can appreciate it. And and I, I took that tactic with with a few guys that wanted to play football um, when I had the mentoring program. Come on, out here. I'm gonna show you how fast I still can run, and I can do what I need to do. If you mm-hmm. can take care of me, then you would be okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and you, so I just give them that way. Do you share with them the the reality or the odds of them actually going to the the NFL? I mean, because the numbers are so small for the amount of young black kids who actually have aspirations to to go well you you, you have to give them a statistic um which you know that it comes it goes in one end and completely out of it <laughs> um so what, what you do 
you, you, you pull it up, which is now good on Facebook. You know, you, I can just pull up all these excellent, wonderful legends that played at Tennessee and through our college football who never made pro. Mm-hmm. That's something that they can identify with because you, it's, it's kind of hard for us, period, to identify with numbers. Mm-hmm. Okay, True. 1% of us is going to make it. Okay, I might be that 1%. Okay, cool. You, if that's what you're going to do, that's you. But if I mm-hmm. see these multiple people who are teaching and talking about, you know, it's not all it's cracked up to be. It's going to be a lot harder than what you think. And then it gives them a little bit of reality. And the one idea that I have that I want to um, start a youth football camp in, okay. in Nashville um, with, with the black alumni and some of the former players. We're going to teach them about football, but more importantly, we want to teach them what, about life and how to handle life. Because yeah. I realize that if you show these young people that there's somebody in your life, that there's somebody to care, they'll do that. They yeah. Honestly, they will. They just want to know that somebody's going to be there. And then the beautiful thing about it is that I don't have to be there because I'm not your parent, I'm not your cousin, I'm not your uncle. I'm there mm-hmm. because I'm a black man who cares about my generation. Okay. And he does a lot because a few of the mentoring guys I used to work with, you know, one of them is doing a video for, for the church. Okay. You know, because I steered him on the right path. You know, it's, it's, it's always good, you know, to see, you know, the fruits of your labor. Yeah. Everything falls into place there. Okay. So, uh, real quick before we start to get out of here, where do people pick up a copy of Recognize Your Greatness? Hey, um, Amazon.com. As well as Barnes and Noble, if they want an ebook version, it's available in all ebook ebook formats except Kindle at this point. Um, they can order that from Smashwords.com. Just type in the title or my name and they'll pull it up. Um, they can also go to my website, which is um, FloydMiley22.com, and then they can also order the book from there. Okay. So give me that website one more time, please. Um, it's FloydMiley22.com. And that's the number two, two. Yeah, number two, two. That was my number okay. since high school. <laughs> okay, I never since high school. Okay. Yeah. And okay, so if uh, folks are trying to get in touch with you, um, maybe to get you to speak at one of their uh, ministry programs or at one of their schools or anything like that, how do they? Uh, is there an email address that you can give out that people can reach you or a phone number? Oh yeah, we give them a um, phone number and an email address. The email is real talk. Um, R e a l. T-A-L-K, the number 1969 at gmail.com. That's Real Talk 1969 at gmail.com. Phone number is 615-507-9450. Okay. And, of course, you know, with the world being the way it is, 2014, you're available for on uh, social media websites, too. People can, like, put your name in uh, the search engine for Facebook or Twitter and come up with you that way, too, as well? Um, I got Facebook um, under um, my Facebook is under my name, um, Floyd Miley. Just real social page. I think that's more effective for what I'm trying to do. Um, I'm not really trying to sell books. I'm really trying to get a message out. Okay. Um, so so I use that pretty much for that. I'm also on Twitter at Real Talk 1969 on Twitter, and LinkedIn is under Floyd Miley. So. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, Floyd, we are at the end of the hour here. I've had a pleasure talking to you. Um, everybody, make sure you go out there and pick up his book, Recognize Your Greatness, and you can learn the uh, seven principles that he talks about here today. And, uh, you know, be uh, sure to check him out in the Tennessee area if you're ever there, and I'm pretty sure we're going to see more of him in other states and uh, hopefully international as well. Floyd, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. 
Oh, it was a pleasure, and thanks for having me on your show. I, I really had a great time. Oh, me too. Me too. I wish you nothing, nothing but success. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.